Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. So when something is important to you, it's a priority, you will make time. Your intuition, your inner compass, whatever you want to call it, it may not always be right, but it will always take you to where you need to be. The first sell is selling you to you. Now, unless you can do the first sell well, i.e. selling you to you, it becomes more challenging to sell you to others. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 11 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Simon Alexander Ong. Welcome, Simon. Thank you for having me on your show, Harsha. Thanks, Simon. Everything that Simon does is built around inspiring people to see their world differently and igniting their imagination of what is truly possible. And this fits in so well with the theme of this podcast. From a young age, he has always been curious about learning, and this curiosity was accelerated following his departure from the financial services industry, where he started his career following graduation from the London School of Economics. It's always great to have a fellow LSE alumnus on the show. As an award-winning coach and keynote speaker, he has been interviewed on Sky News, the BBC, and Forbes. He has also spoken at some of the world's most successful organizations, such as Virgin, Salesforce, and Microsoft. He loves Malaysian food and martial arts, so he's okay in my book. He is also in the process of writing his first book with Penguin Random House. Welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for the kind words and introduction. No problem, Simon. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. One of the great things about the podcast is connecting with people like you. We had never met before, but then I saw you on this amazing panel with Grace Laudan and Dory Clark. So I reached out to you and you kindly responded. Indeed. And uh, I think it shows you never know uh, who you get to meet when you speak, when you appear on panels, when you share your work online. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting theme, this whole idea of just getting yourself out there, the idea of serendipity, and you just never know. Whenever you're speaking or doing something, you never know who's just around the corner. But first of all, Simon, would you like to share a quote with the the listeners? Yeah, sure. So I think I sent something over, but it really touches on this idea of stillness, the fact that Slowing down in order to speed up is a superpower because in that process, we get to awaken our most creative self. We get to understand that we are not, in fact, looking for an answer. We are the answer. That's such a great quote. And the first one on the show actually created by a guest. So uh, (laughs) thank you very much for that. And and it's funny talking about creativity, because when I was at university, I was not at all creative. This was 
pre my podcasts and YouTube days. My favorite subject was auditing and accountability. Did you ever do that, Simon? I, I did a bit of accounting at university. Uh, I did an economics degree, so accounting was part of that. But similar to yourself, Harsha, you know, I ended up following the route that many people who started as a student at LSE did. Uh, into the world of financial services and banking. Uh, so not much creativity in that line until I transitioned out of the world of being an employee to now being an entrepreneur. Cool. But uh, apart from resting, Simon, do you have any other tips on creativity that may inspire our listeners? Well, apart from slowing down, uh, in fact, a lot of it comes from slowing down. If you look at it at a high level, all the activities I would share, whether that is spending time in nature, journaling, exercising, all of these activities, while different, they're all forms of slowing down, i.e. taking our minds away from being in the work. Because you and your listeners may reflect on this. Now, think back to the last time you had your most creative insights. Chances are, it was not when you were sitting at your desk after having done five back-to-back Zoom calls, but more likely when you are having a long hot shower, going for a run outdoors, spending some time in a swimming pool, going on a long haul flight. And these are all moments when we are, for a better word, slowing down, being away from our desk, being away from the stresses of everyday life. So when we slow down, we're able to tap into that creative wisdom we all have. You know, I don't know if these anecdotes are true or false, but when you look back in history, you've got Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity after sitting down underneath a tree and the apple falling on his head. Archimedes sitting in that bathtub. Eureka, he uncovers displacement theory. And Thomas Edison, at the height of his career, having these breakthroughs while sitting at a lake, with his fishing rod, with no bait, so no one would disturb him, not even the fish. All these activities are different, but they're still forms of slowing down. And it is in these moments that we have these insights, that we have these ideas, that when we have the courage to then apply them, that gives us the gas, the fuel we need to move further ahead in our journey. I think that's a great point. And there's a really great professor at UCL called Vincent Walsh. And he talks about how it's about putting the hard work, putting the grind, but then just almost going offline. And that's when the real magic happens. It's almost Mm. as if it comes to us like the rain from the clouds. Mm. So I I totally agree with your insight. The more rest, the better. Um, (laughs) It's a paradox, but I think life is full of paradoxes. You know, the one I just shared with you is slow down in order to speed up. The other paradox about goals and a vision is, yes, it's important to have a goal and a vision to give context to what actions you are going to take today. But at the same time, once you know what that goal and vision is, it's then put it to one side. Because if we become too focused on that goal of vision, then what are we doing in the meantime? We're not living in the present. We're living as if we're never going to die and then die having never really lived. And so we've got to focus on the moment because our future is dictated by what we do today, this second, this minute, this moment. That is what decides where we are tomorrow. I totally agree. And this whole idea of enjoying the journey, it's a cliche, but I think that is so true because if you're fixated on this goal and you think there is only one goal and there is only one path to that goal, then mm. you sometimes get so focused that you don't actually see the opportunities that are right in front mm. of you. And I think that's quite sad, which I think ties in nicely to what you said. Absolutely. If we sort of take it back to your early life, Simon, where did this curiosity come from as a child growing up? Sure. So when I was uh, young, and this is probably similar to many uh, Asian children, I had a fairly linear path. It was very much get top of the class, get good grades, 
get to a good school, get to a good college, get top of the class again, get a good job that pays well, move up the ladder, start a family and so on. I was taught that that was the definition of success. In fact, when I was thinking about what career I wanted to do, the only thing that came to my mind was either to be a banker, a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant, because those were the very jobs that had been instilled in my mind of what success was. So curiosity for me really started in a funny way. When I was a teenager, I remember watching on television with my brother. Uh, it was two TV shows run by the magician David Blaine. Uh, and he was uh, performing close up magic to people across the streets of America. And I remember I said to my brother, you know what? I think we should record these shows because there's a lot of interest. It could be great to try and learn how he does the tricks. So we recorded it. And my brother and I got so curious about how he did the tricks that we kept rewinding and playing, rewinding and playing the VHS. And so you had those blurry lines on it because we've done that so many times. But the great thing about doing that is we got to crack a lot of the tricks. And then we took that knowledge and we went to school and we performed magic uh, to our friends at school. So that was really where I was first exposed to the power of curiosity, to follow that curiosity and what can happen from it. Now, it wasn't until a few years later that that sparked again, because again, I was drawn back into the grind of the everyday. It was then back to homework, back to coursework, back to getting to a good school, and then focusing on filling in job application forms. And so it wasn't then until the financial crisis that I then had to go back to exploring my curiosity, asking life's biggest questions, simple on the outside, but actually deep when we go inside to do the work. And that's what really kick-started the journey to where I am today. That's a great story. And it's funny you talk about your journey as, as a, an Asian kid, because you know, I, I can totally relate to that. And it, it's almost as if all the Asian kids, they're meant to be really academic and they're really bright. But I think it's this sort of parental pushing the whole time. In one sense, there, there's a bad element to it. But on the other hand, if you can get some qualifications, I think it's it's very important. So yeah, that's yeah, so totally relate to that that sort of background. <laughs> I agree. I mean, if there's anything I learned from that experience, uh, while, as you say, it limited my definition of success to just a few careers, I think the greatest lesson I took away from that pressure was the importance of hard work. And I think it doesn't matter if you are following someone else's definition of success or you are working towards achieving your own definition of success in whatever career you want to do well in. Ultimately, all of it comes down to hard work. You know, there's a great saying that goes, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Uh, and that's one of the greatest lessons I think uh, I can take from my parents there. And totally agree. And, and, and also, I think this idea of acquiring new skills, because I think going forward in the world, um, you can sort of study something at university and you can be good at something. But the world of work is changing so rapidly. Mm. You have to be able to evolve. You know, four months ago, I had no idea about podcasting, editing a podcast, YouTube. I, mean, I was so non-technical, but mm. you know, by watching uh, videos, you can pick up stuff so quickly. Mm. And, and it really does increase your skill set without much cost. It, it's really about just putting in the, the grind. Don't you think so, Simon? Mm. Definitely. I mean, Jim Rohn once famously said that formal education makes you a living, self-education can make you a fortune. And as you rightly pointed out there, Harsha, you know, in this world where the world is moving towards, it's no longer about just what you know. It is about how you can keep learning, keep evolving, because the world doesn't stay still. The world keeps changing. And it's our ability to remain an eternal student, adopt that white belt mentality that will help us navigate 
these uncertain times to thrive when we're challenged. And I think that skill of resilience, of eternal learning, is what's going to set us apart from the majority. That is a skill in itself because adapting, especially when we look back at the last 12 months when we've experienced a global pandemic, that ability to adapt allows us to keep moving forward and focus on what we can do best. Totally. Um, and sort of going back to university, what, what made you want to read economics at the LSE apart from parental pressure? <laughs> I, I, didn't... So I had that, uh, Harsha, I had that choice between uh, a banker, doctor, lawyer and accountant. Well, accountant I didn't really like because it felt boring to me. With regards to being a lawyer, I felt like it was too much reading. So I was kind of left with being a doctor or a banker. And being a doctor, I didn't fancy because I wasn't, I, I didn't take well to having to dissect organs of the human body. And so actually being a banker felt like the safest choice out of the four I had. And so I started to apply to university. I got a, uh, fortunately, I got a place at the London School of Economics. But in hindsight, there were many lessons that started to nudge and tell me that maybe I wasn't meant for this path. And that first big insight was when I failed my second year of university. So I remember I finished my second year of the LSC. I was in, in the middle of the summer logging online to see what grades I got, to see if I got to the next year. Uh, and then I found that I failed. I mean, just imagine uh, going back to your Chinese father and having to tell them and the rest of the family, by the way, you know that money you've just invested in my second year? I'm going to need that again, if that's okay, because I have to repeat my second year. That experience taught me maybe the academic life wasn't for me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think these clues you can only see in hindsight. So it was a fascinating experience at university. I managed to bounce back. Uh, in order to land a job uh, at uh, a very prestigious company at the time and a company many people wanted to work with, Lehman Brothers. Uh, unfortunately, my timing was just a bit off uh, because I joined a year before the global financial crisis. And in September 2008, that company I started with went into administration. So not the best start uh, to life after graduation. I, I suppose, first thing, didn't the, didn't the LSE give you a, a discount for making you retake the second year? That's, that's a bit harsh. Charging. <laughs> I think we should look into that, Simon. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Unfortunately, because I didn't pick up the tab for that, uh, I don't know the uh, specificities. <laughs> but but the, but the second point is, I, I suppose, um, you know, just getting a job at Lehman is an amazing um, thing because you know if you, if you think back to that time, you know, pre um, the pand uh, pre the financial crash, that was a very highly regarded institution. So I mm. think just getting in there says something. Un unfortunately, whether an organization goes bust or not, that's mm. nothing to do with the individual. What I would take from that is that obviously you must have had something which they liked and they valued in order mm. to give you a, a graduate opportunity. But I think the fact that you bounce back from that, um, that that's really impressive. Definitely. Well, if I look back at the... Uh... The, the sort of failure of the second year. So I had to repeat the year. Now that presented me with one major challenge, which was when I was applying to be a graduate at some of these investment banks, you have to fill in an application form. And on this application form, it asks you for your grades and your predicted grades. Now, of course, my actual grades were all failures. And so I knew that if I put that in, I couldn't get past the first filter of the system. I just wouldn't get past that because the computer would block me out. I wouldn't get to the next round. This experience taught me an important lesson. Challenges are important for our personal growth because it is in our most challenging moments that we are equipped with the skill, the wisdom, and the insights 
to create the best moments of our life. And so what happened is because I had no choice, because I couldn't fill in an application form, I couldn't get past the first round, I had no choice but to go and network. So I decided to sign myself up to as many of the company presentations as I could that were happening in the city. And I went to nearly all of them with the sole focus of building relationships with the people that spoke and the people that were in the audience uh, after the main presentation was done. And before I knew it, I had some of these contacts saying to me, Simon, send me your CV and I'll get you straight into HR to have an interview. So I had to get creative in order to bypass the formal process. And so before I knew it, I had invitations from about six banks uh, to have the first round interview without filling in a single application form. And so that taught me many lessons in that when your back is against a wall, suddenly you find creative ways in order to move forward. So when the financial crash happened and I was out of a job after Lehman went into administration, I then accessed that creativity again to explore, well, what could I do? What was in my control? Because now looking back, what I realized is that when we focus on what isn't in our control, the crash, Brexit, the pandemic, we become paralyzed by overthinking. We dwell on unproductive thoughts. But when we focus on what we can control, we become empowered to take action. We get energized. We get creative. And so that's what I began to tap into. And I said, maybe this is a moment. Maybe this is a moment to really reflect on what is it I want to do in my life? What does success mean to me? What does fulfillment look like? What sort of impact do I want to have in the world? For the first time, I can answer those questions for myself because when this occurred, Harsha, by this time, my mom unfortunately passed away. My dad was living in another country because of work. And so I had this rare opportunity without this pressure to think what I wanted to pursue. Uh, and that's how I started pivoting and slowly shifting my life towards the work I'm now privileged to do today. That, that's a great story. And, and obviously, it's very sorry to hear about your mom, Simon. But I, I think that point you make about networking and creating mm. contacts, I think that's such a great insight. Mm. You know, People think there's only one way to do these things. But mm. actually, when your back is against the wall, you have to be creative. Mm. And especially now, I think when you're looking for a job, there are so many people who are thinking, okay, we'll do the CV, do the covering letter, and you're just getting bounced back. But actually, mm. what you need to do is think, okay, what is it that makes me unique? How can I stand out? How can I get past the robots? I use the same approach when I went to these presentations. Just make friendships with these people who are in charge. And actually, if you have a story which is interesting and you're not being too um, full on, you can actually make friendships with these people because they're, they're, quite frankly, they're, they're seeing the same folks the whole time. If you stand out, then they'll be your best friend um, for making the evening less unpleasant. <laughs> and it also reminds me of another thought, Harsha, what you're saying there is that today uh, we live in what I would call the attention economy. We are at a point in which society has never been more distracted with our smartphones, with social media, with notifications everywhere. And I remember reading an article, I think it was in the uh, Guardian a few years ago, and it said that the average attention span for a human is now eight seconds. And what was more fascinating than that statistic was the fact that the average attention span for goldfish was nine seconds. So supposedly our attention span is shorter than that of a goldfish. And what that means for us is we are challenged to get the attention of other people. So whether you're running a business, whether you're looking to network, how do you get the attention of someone else to take notice of you and, and the value that you can bring? Uh, and I think that's never been a more crucial skill than today when there is so much noise and how do we cut through that in order to connect with people and build relationships that can not only help us, 
but allow us to show them how we can be of value. That's a great point. And I think two ways that I personally like to do it is one, showing a unique perspective, something different. And I think if you can look in your backstory and think, what is it that makes me unique? And everybody has something. Mm. There, there are always these interesting stories. But I think it's a way of crafting it in in a nice sort of way. But also, I think, I think the second thing is, how do you add value to that person? So say if you're a podcast or a creative person, you could say, well, maybe come on my show or we can record a YouTube video. I can highlight this. Or if you're interested in trying to become more creative and create content, mm. um, maybe talking somebody through that. So I think there are always things that you can do, but I think you need to be creative about your backstory and think what makes you interesting. Yeah, and it goes, it all comes down to one of the words you were sharing just now, Harsha, which is your story. We all have a story, but how deep have we touched into that to connect with other people? Because stories is one of those powerful ways we can connect with others, whether you're communicating, whether you're presenting, whether you're looking to build a relationship. And the analogy I often use when I help people to network better or even to build their business is to think of going to a cinema. When you go to a cinema to watch a feature film, what happens is that before the feature film comes on, you have a series of trailers that are maybe around two and a half minutes long. If the trailer has done its job properly, you are going to say to your friend or your partner that you've gone to the cinema with, when that film comes out, we've got to come back and watch the film when it gets released. And that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to deliver a trailer about who we are so that the other person says to us, when can I see the full film? In this case, the full film is your product, it's your service, it's what you do. So if we can come from that place, what happens is we start hearing people say to you, tell me more. How do you do that? How can we learn more? Suddenly they get curious about you and who you are and what you stand for. Uh, and so that's what I mean by tapping into your story so people want to know more because that's where humans connect. We connect through the power of story. No, I totally agree. And, and and also just thinking, what what is it that you find easy? Because I think sometimes there are things that you find really easy to do, which other people don't, but you don't value them. And, and, and in a way, uh, if you look at that and you look at your skills and just think, what, what is it that I've done? What do I find easy? And maybe mm. just talk about those things and things that may, may, mm. may make you stand out. Totally. And I think we all have strengths. You know, I often say that uh, the universe's gift to us was life. The fact that we are alive today, our gift back to the universe must be to discover what those unique gifts, talents, and skills were, and then to share and express them with the world. Um, that is how we get meaning in our life. You, you know, meaning comes from contribution. It also comes from progress, progress towards an ideal, towards something that makes you feel alive, but also contribution to something bigger than yourself. Uh, and that's where we touch on the idea of legacy. You know, what you do for yourself would die with you, but what you do for others, that becomes part of your legacy. It becomes something that allows you to live on beyond your human years and totally agree and i think the, the other interesting point you touched on simon is you know when we're talking about control what you can control and what you can't control and obviously you can't control you know, going into administration you can't control the <laughs> financial crash but i think what you can control is the way you react to that situation mm. whether it's uh, creating stuff uh, making product whatever it is how do you react you know, rather than freaking out and saying you know life is mm. unfair if you react in a positive way that's incredibly powerful. Definitely. And uh, I think we often forget that, Harsha, is that there are events we cannot control, pure and simple. But what we can control is how we choose to respond to that. And in our response lies our greatest power. It is that response that we decide to consciously choose that decides where we will be tomorrow. 
And we always have a choice. We always have a choice. Even not deciding is a choice. So we've got to understand how can we choose a better response. And for me, if I were to share with your listeners a practical bit of advice, it would be this. Stop dwelling on unproductive questions, which are things such as, why did this happen to me? What if this doesn't work out? And start moving your thinking to more productive questions. What is the lesson here? How can I turn this into a platform to push me into the next level of my life? What is this trying to teach me? So when you have the humility to look for the lesson in every moment, because every moment does contain a lesson, if you have the humility to look for it, then guess what? Out of challenges will come strength, out of setbacks will, be, will come resilience. But that can only happen if you have that humility to be an eternal student, to seek the lesson, and then more importantly, to apply that newfound knowledge. Because knowledge without action is meaningless. That's a great point, Simon, about this not being a victim. Because I think sometimes people feel that mm. almost the universe is conspiring to screw up their lives. And, that, and that, that's just not the case. Um, obviously, there is bad luck and um, you know, people sometimes have structural issues. You know, I think we're very lucky. We were born in the West. We were, we were lucky enough to go to some amazing universities. You know, maybe people in other parts of the world aren't. And I totally empathize with them. But there is far more, as you're saying, that we can control than, than we can't. And there's no point saying mm. you know, there's only one show in town. Because sometimes I think people in jobs mm. or in bad situations, they think there's nothing we can do. Mm. Sometimes you can't make big changes. But I think small micro steps mm. over a period of time do add up. I think that's what it's all about. You know, it's why when we think about any form of success and achievement, the most important aspect of that journey is your habits. You know, in fact, when I get asked, what is the secret to success? Now, I don't know the exact answer. I think everyone will have a different response, but I can guarantee that one of the most popular areas will be your habits. The secret to success is to be found in what you do every day. That is where the secret to success is found. Because as you said, Harsh, it's those small steps, those micro steps. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you took one tiny step forward each day for the next year. That is 365 tiny steps forward. Imagine for a moment where you could be, where you could be a year from now if you took consistent action in moving forward. Because as Denzel Washington once said when he received the award for his film Fences, without commitment, you will never begin. But more importantly, without consistency, you will never finish. If you could just do one small thing, say, you know, sometimes when I'm stuck, I think, okay, why don't I quickly make a, a YouTube video? Might take an hour, whatever. But 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 the, the really interesting thing is that you can see something being produced and that changes the way you perceive the world, I, I think. Or if mm. you're writing a book, break it down into, okay, I have to write 40,000 words. How many you know, words do I need to write a week? And then how many words a day? So yeah, it's all mm. about breaking things down. Um, and that and that's actually the technique that mm. I've used when I, I, I'm trying to write a book at the moment. And I keep a spreadsheet and I'm, yeah. I've got a target that I'm aiming to get to. <laughs> at the start, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm 40,000 words away from anything. But but as you're going along, you're thinking, okay, mm. it's 10% done, 20% done, yeah, whatever. You're writing or written a book. What, what techniques did you use to, to do that, Simon? Well, first thing uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest with you, Harsha, the techniques I would usually have applied just didn't happen uh, during the writing process. And here's why. It's because around the same time I received the offer uh, to write my first book with the publisher, 
My wife and I also gave birth to our first child. Now, both events are incredible on their own, but together, it's certainly challenging. So writing a book while raising a child as new parents simply meant however ideal my plan was before we became parents just simply didn't happen. And so I had to adapt my way of writing around my child because essentially my schedule was no longer my schedule. My schedule was determined by whatever my child's schedule was. Uh, so that was a very different way of working. And I had to adapt to what was, I'm not going to lie, a very challenging year to get 60 plus thousand words written. Wow, that, that, that's really impressive, Simon. And firstly, congratulations <laughs> to your wife and to your child. So she's a, a year Thank you. old, is that right? Yeah, just over a year old now. Wow, amazing how time flies. I, I think the great thing there is that you're in a difficult situation. On one hand, you've got this amazing news about the book coming through, but then you've got the pandemic, you've got to crack 60,000 words yeah. out there. And you really have to think, how do I do that? Because you know your child isn't, you can't negotiate with her. She needs to figure out a way of getting things done, um, but just being adaptable. And, and I think that's a great point you make about you know, if you're thinking about the world going forward, we have to be more adaptable and just think, OK, we've got our work that needs to be done. How do we fit it in to this period of time? If something is important to you, you will always find time. You will always make time for that activity. If you say, I don't have time, let's just rephrase that response. What you're actually saying is that this is not a priority for me at the moment. That's what you're actually saying. Because when it is a priority, you always find time. My wife and I are giving birth to our child. Suddenly, we've got the time to clean the house. We've got time to clean up after someone, to tidy, uh, to do all the things that supposedly we never had time to do before because now it is important for the health of our child. So when something is important to you, it's a priority, you will make time. So notice your brain, whenever it says, I don't have time, what it's really trying to say is this is not a priority for me right now. And if we rephrase it that way, notice what comes to mind and how you feel. Because maybe you have to rethink how to make it more of a priority or to realize maybe your actions don't reflect what you think is important. That's a great point, Simon. And, and just for our listeners, I'm looking at Simon and his uh, background is actually his background. It's not a virtual <laughs> background. I feel very envious when I look at how neat and tidy your, um, is that your kitchen, Simon, or your living room? Or It's, uh, it's the living room behind, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's his actual living room for people who see this on YouTube. So very impressive, Simon. But I totally agree. It's how can you make these things fun? I think when people are looking at careers and what they should follow, there's a guy called Cal Newport who you may have come across. And he talks about this thing about following your passion. But for a lot of people, like, what is your passion? Um, yeah, unfortunately, playing video games or playing cricket, uh, it doesn't lead to a career. But if you can find something that you're good at, achieve mastery, then actually you do start enjoying it. Editing podcasts, nobody can say that that's mm. fun. But actually, once you get into it and think, okay, how do I get some interesting clips out of here? Enjoy that whatever task you're doing, gain mastery, mm. the better you'll become. I mean, what do you think, Simon, about trying to uh, find a career or find your calling? What, what, what's your advice on that? Sure. Well, the first thing I would say to your listeners, Harsha, is that I guarantee and promise you right now, whatever path you take, 
it will never be always 100% fun. There will always be aspects of any path that will, of course, be boring or feel like a chore. Uh, but that's part of the journey. If you are following a path that means something to you, you will learn how to navigate through those paths that you don't like so much. There's always going to be the aspects of any job or career that you're not going to like as much. Outside of Hollywood films or TV shows, I don't know anyone that wakes up one morning and goes, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen that way. It may work in the films and the TV shows that we watch, but it doesn't happen in real life. In reality, what happens is we start by asking ourselves, what am I most curious about right now? What am I most curious about right now? And this is a much softer question than what is my purpose? Because when we think about what is my purpose, that can be quite heavy. It's a very big question. What is my purpose? And that tends to put many people off looking. It's like, well, I don't know what my purpose is, so I'm just going to continue doing what I've always done. And they don't take any meaningful steps to discover what their purpose is. And that's the thing. You don't find your purpose by thinking what my purpose is. You find your purpose by living each day with purpose. To think, what am I curious about? How can I start exploring and connecting those dots? And eventually, I will discover what I was meant to do. It's why Steve Jobs in his famous Stanford University speech said he took up calligraphy at university because he was fascinated about calligraphy. Now, he didn't know if it was going to lead to a career in design or calligraphy, but it was that exposure that allowed him to think differently when it came to building Apple. But without that calligraphy class, he wouldn't have had the insight and the thinking to make Apple stand out and be different from the competitors. So just start with asking yourself, what am I most curious about right now? Because there is wisdom in your curiosity. It is why the saying that goes, the longest journey that we take as humans are the inches from my head to our hearts is so powerful. Because whether you want to call it your gut, your intuition, your inner compass, whatever you want to call it, it may not always be right, but it will always take you to where you need to be. I think the great point there is, well, obviously taking action, but I think this curiosity, because you know, I mean, this this podcast and the YouTube channel, five years ago, I was not thinking about this at all. But I went to this random personal development lecture where this lady started talking about uh, neuroscience, uh, mm. Dr. Gabby Atolakita, and it really clicked something within me. And I thought, wow, this is just amazing. Potentially, this is a way of almost rewiring the way I perceive the world, rewiring my brain. And I started doing a really sort of deep dive into this, sort of following her to all her lectures. And I think she must have got pretty tired, but eventually I think I wore her down and we became friends. And, mm. and I think if, if you uh, find something you're passionate about and really enjoy it, then it doesn't feel like work. It's just like gaining knowledge, thinking about how you, can you change your life in a more efficient manner. And then five mm. years later, um, I have her as my first guest on the podcast. And you're thinking, mm. how did that happen? It wasn't this sort of mm. sequence of linear steps to go from a lecture to having her on, on your podcast. Mm. And then, yeah, the YouTube channel came. And then after that, I'm thinking about writing a book. But but it all mm. came from the curiosity about neuroscience, mm. psychology, how can you start changing your mind in, in different ways? And, mm. and also, I've, I've become fascinated by technology. And all these things were things that I had never thought about before. So it's really interesting, this whole idea of curiosity, which you talk about. 
we we tend to sabotage ourselves from taking that first step because as you say that first step is always the hardest for us you know we are riddled with fear doubt insecurity uncertainty discomfort but once we've taken those first steps the rest become a lot easier because you're showing yourself maybe it's not as hard as i think it is or maybe it's not so bad as i imagine uh, and as you start building momentum we get back to this idea of small micro steps as you begin to build that momentum what happens is you get excited. You want more. You, you think to yourself, well, what else is possible from here? Because you're showing yourself just what can be accomplished when you channel your energy, your attention, and your focus into something that you're passionate about and that is meaningful for you. And, and just in terms of your sort of personal journey, um, Simon, obviously after uh, Lehman, you had that period of sort of soul searching mm. and thinking about what you wanted to do. So how did that transition come from finance to coaching and the entrepreneurship? Sure. So once I finished at Lehman, I was out for a couple of months and then I went back into the world of finance. I was in and out of the financial industry for uh, nearly a decade, actually. And during this time, I slowly moved myself into jobs, uh, which had a fairly healthy work-life balance which allowed me to then outside of work, explore some of my curiosities. So one of those curiosities was into the world of food that didn't work out so well. I went into other curiosities that didn't work. And then my, my girlfriend at the time showed me an article that talked about this coaching course that was going on in London. And it was a free two day weekend course. I could go along, no obligation, just to find out more about the world of coaching. And I went to this two-day weekend course. I met lots of new friends there, and I started listening to what coaching was all about. And I got fascinated. Uh, I, I mean, I've always been interested in the field of human potential, but I didn't think that you could make a career out of it. Just like when I was a teenager, I didn't think you could make a career out of being an artist. And so I decided to explore my curiosity. I had the funds from my day job and I decided, okay, well, I'm going to put down a payment and study coaching. So I spent two years on the side of a, a full-time job I was holding down at the time to get qualified in coaching. I did two qualifications with this uh, company. And then after that, I did nothing with it for a year before I started to realize, well, you know, if I paid that much money to do the course, I better do something with it. And that started my transition. I slowly started to apply what I was learning. And then it wasn't until around 2014, 2015 that I then decided to slowly transition out of employment and into the world of entrepreneurship. It wasn't an easy journey. I mean, when I look back, it looks fairly seamless. But the big jump was in my mindset, because going from an employee mindset to an entrepreneur mindset is, I think, one of the most challenging jumps we have to make. Because when you're an employee, if you take a day off sick, uh, if you can't make it to work, whatever happens, you're still getting paid every month. You get paid your bonus, uh, you get the perks, you get all the nice things that come with working for a company. However, when you're an entrepreneur, well, if you take a sick day, well, who's going to run your business? You know, if you don't serve your clients, who's going to serve your clients, especially when you're just starting out? And if you don't work, well, there's no money going to come in. So there's a very different mindset I had to shift towards. But once I did, I'm not going to lie, it's been a roller coaster since then, but but uh, it's been exciting, full of things to look forward to. You know, each day I now wake up to the smell of possibilities. I look back and realize, wow, just how far I've come. And because of this love of learning, I still feel like I'm just getting started, even though I'm now a few years into my business. And, and I think you mentioned to me that you have been part of a few mastermind groups where you come across other like-minded people and they help, everybody helps elevate their game. Is that, is that right? Definitely. I remember I read about mastermind groups, the concept first from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. 
And then I joined a mastermind group in London after I met someone at a friend's birthday and he was hosting a mastermind group at the Ritz Hotel, which I thought was fairly swanky for a <laughs> mastermind group. I think we were just going to meet up for coffee and share what we're doing in business. And I remember going along to this uh, mastermind group the first night at the Ritz Hotel. Before this, I'd never been at the Ritz before. I would peer into the windows. I would look at the, 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 the sort of men at the front of the entrance as I walked past every time I was in the Green Park area. And so I went in and there was 10 of us sitting on the table. I started to feel like I was the dumbest person in the room and perhaps I shouldn't have showed up when everyone started introducing themselves. You know, we had the uh, co-founder of HelloFresh that went on to become a billion dollar company. We had like authors that flew in from Los Angeles, a guy that started off a nightclub in London that now dresses the likes of Harry Styles and, you know, some of the A-listers in Hollywood. And here's me who was still in the job looking to transition out of that into what I wanted to do. And I felt like a complete fraud in this environment. However, it, it also taught me some, some important lessons. Number one is that the quickest way to succeed in any area of your life or business or career for that matter is to design an environment around you that makes it impossible not to succeed. Number two is you have got to put yourself in situations in which you are one of the dumbest people in the room. Why? Because if you're the cleverest, most ambitious, most successful person in the room, how much more can you grow? You can't really grow. It just becomes about your ego. Everyone's saying how great you are. But if you are one of the dumbest per people in the room, guess what? There is so much to learn. There is so many ways that you can grow. And that is a powerful position to be in. And then third, seek out mentors. Seek out people that can challenge you to be better than who you were yesterday. We like to think we get to the top alone, but you don't. Everyone who has risen to the top or mastered something has done so because they've had a powerful support network around them. But they, they were probably looking around at the room and thinking, Simon Alexander Ong, how did he get here? He's amazing. We shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly it. We don't know what other people are thinking. Yeah. Uh, they could be thinking completely different. They may even be thinking the same thing. We don't know. Uh, but that's how I felt. But at the same time, it challenged me. I, I accomplished in weeks what it took me months or even years to do before. I think the other great lesson from that, Simon, is this whole idea of if somebody thinks that you are good, just accept mm. that as a compliment and don't yeah. overthink it. Totally. Because I think sometimes we're always thinking, should I be doing this? If you get a, a, a job offer for this amazing job, mm. just take it. If they're willing to pony up good money to get you on board, they're, they're rational mm. um, you know, business people. And then I think sometimes if you start overthinking things, then they will also lose confidence in you because they'll think, well, if he doesn't think he's worth it or she's worth it, then why, why should we hire them? Definitely. And that's why uh, when I coach people, when I speak to organizations, even to those looking to build a business or develop their career up the ladder is whether we consciously are aware of it or not there are always two sales that happen. The second sale is selling you to others. The first sale is selling you to you. Now, unless you can do the first sale well, i.e. selling you to you, it becomes more challenging to sell you to others because people feel your energy. If you don't believe in yourself, then people can feel that. Whereas if you believe in yourself, if you know that you're going to achieve great things, people feel that confidence and that energy within you. That is why when someone walks in a room, sometimes you say, well, this person just lifts the energy in the room. And some other people, wow, the energy has just got sucked dry out of the room. That's the power of energy. What we feel inside gets transmitted outside, whether we realize it or not. And this whole idea of having a vibe, I don't think you should create something that's not you. 
But I think if you do have a, a love of something or a mastery or something that you really enjoy doing, then you just transmit that energy to to other people and you make other people feel good about themselves and about meeting you. Um, Definitely. And if you look at the people who have succeeded the best in their careers, what you tend to find is that they exhibit qualities of what I would call energizers, i.e. people that energize everyone that spends time with them, whether they are colleagues or employees or friends or family. They just have this quality to energize you effortlessly. And those tend to be the people that succeed quickest in their career or industry. Brilliant. And and just sort of going back to your book, um, Simon, would you just like to give share a little bit with our listeners um, uh, as much as you can? Definitely. So what I can share is that it will be around the idea of energy, something we've actually just started to speak about here. You can't achieve some of the greatest goals, the most important visions you have for your life unless you feel energized. If you have all the time in the world but no energy, what can you really accomplish? So really what the book's going to take you through in the journey is, number one, how can you awaken that energetic force within you? Number two, how can you rewire the energetic blueprint in your mind so it's going to help you move forward and not sabotage you? Third, how do you protect that energy? You don't want to be moving forward and leaking energy all over the place. You want to make sure you're protecting it so that you don't have toxicity or negativity draining and stopping you making progress. And the last is living a supercharged life, one in which you can thrive and contribute to a legacy that you can be proud of. Now, imagine living a life that adds value to this world in which the world could not have been the way it is without your input into the makeup of it. That's a, a great summary, Siren. <laughs> Sign me up. I want to buy that book. <laughs> Let me buy stock in Ong PLC. <laughs> <laughs> all in good time, Marsha. All in good time. And and Simon, obviously, this is a, a career development podcast. So if you're looking for work at the moment, are there any simple strategies that people can implement? Um, obviously, I think a lot of it is down to execution and these micro steps. Mm. I'm going to make it quite broad because it depends on what level, what experience you have when you're looking for work. But number one is what I would call build it before you need it. Now, some of the most lucrative, most exciting jobs are not advertised. They are usually through networks. So build it before you need it simply means that if you are looking to switch career into a different industry or you're looking to stay within your industry, but perhaps move to a different company or try a different role, research that particular area well enough to know who are the key thought leaders there who are the sort of companies you want to work with how can i reach out to them how can i start seeing what they publish what they share on linkedin or any other social platform you know social media is a tool that not only allows us to use it but also allows us to understand people markets and businesses get intimate knowledge about the companies about the people you want to work alongside with or in with and that will show up when you meet them when you have those interviews it will show how important it is to you to work in that industry and ultimately that you've done your homework the second is get creative you know it's something that we touched on earlier get creative i had a friend recently who was out of a job for a year and a half and he recently landed a job because when he was asked for his cv he not only sent an email of his cv across to the company but he recorded a minute and a half video on why he felt he was the ideal candidate for that job that stood him out straight away it became a video that the person who received it ended up sharing with others in that organization and he's now working for this particular company so get creative we're in a world in which we have so many tools and resources available to us use them to your advantage yeah i was just gonna say the third one is linked to the second on being creative but don't 
dismiss the idea of working for free in the beginning. So I'll give you two examples. When I speak on stages, although less so at the moment because of the lockdown, but hopefully very soon again, I was approached by a 19-year-old videographer who said to me, Simon, I would love to shoot your videos for you. So when you go on stage and speak, I would love to be in the background to learn from you, but also to shoot your videos and edit your videos for you. Now, how about this? I shoot you for free for one day. And if you like what I shoot and the way I do my work, we can talk about working together. So he did that for free for one day. And now we've been working together for two years. Someone else who was working in a startup company took time away in order to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. But what he did during this time away is that he offered himself up for free. You know, oh, is it okay to pop by and, and you know, use my contacts to see the sort of work that you do over the course of a week or two? And I can help out where you need. And that gave him insights into how the industry he wanted to move into operated. So that when he decided to apply, not only did he now have a better network, but he had more intimate knowledge that he could share during the interview process. I think that's a great point. And this whole idea about creativity, because a CV really doesn't tell a, a, a mm. proper story. So if you can distill what you're about in, into two minutes, basically a sort of elevator pitch. And, and I think communication is so powerful these days. If you come across any of Warren Buffett's interviews, you'll notice that he's often cited that in his office, he only has one certificate hanging up on his wall. And that is the certificate for public speaking at the Dale Carnegie Institute. And he said communication for him is one of the most, if not the most important skills that he has mastered in his career. Because our ability to move people through the art of communication allows us to either influence them or lose opportunities. And if we can positively influence people, either by sharing the value that we can bring or to move them towards a vision, then that is how leadership is born. Great point. And, and I like the point you make about uh, research, because it's almost as if, if you mm. uh, focus on a particular area or sector and really dive deeply into that, you, you almost change your mind to think in that particular way, mm. like those great people in that sector. And it's almost as if you can speak something into existence by you know, doing the research. I, I'm not sure about the science of it, but I think if you surround yourself by uh, you know, people in a particular sector, learning from them, whether it's investing or marketing, you know, whatever it is, you then ad uh, adopt maybe some of their ways of working. And so subliminally, this stuff seeps into your brain and it changes the way you think. This is, this is where we access what I call the superconscious. It's where we leverage not just the conscious mind, but also the subconscious mind. If you are in the market to purchase a Tesla car, then suddenly you start noticing Tesla cars all around the streets where you live. Now, it doesn't mean the Tesla cars were never there. It just means now your subconscious mind is looking for Tesla cars because your conscious brain has told it we are looking for Tesla cars. So in the same way, whatever you feed your conscious mind, it sends subtle signals down to your subconscious to keep an eye out. So if you're saying to it, for example, I'm looking for the opportunity to move up and become this particular role in a the company, then suddenly your subconscious starts to look for all of these opportunities. You are giving it an objective, something to focus its energy on. And so that's what happens when we bring the two together, we activate what I call the superconscious. That's such an amazing uh, point there, Simon. Before we sort of wrap up, is, are there any other uh, tips or strategies that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. So uh, three quick things. 
when you are looking to develop your career or move into a, a career that you would like to, focus on the question of how can I add value to someone's life today? Now, if you add value to just one person's life each day, in no time, you are going to be wanted by many companies and people because you are someone that is seen as valuable, someone that brings value. So think to yourself each day, how can I add value to someone's life? And keep in mind, it doesn't have to be monetary. It can be something as simple as you've had a conversation with a colleague or someone that's working in a company or a friend, and they've shared some challenges with you. And you simply send them a book or you send them a link to an article or video that can be helpful to them. That's still adding value. Now, if you think of ways each day that you can add value to someone's life, before long, they're going to want to add, to add value to yours. They will say back to you, well, you know, you mentioned to me you're looking for a job. I've got someone that is looking and I think you two could get on quite well. And the reason they're doing that is because of the law of reciprocity. When you add value to people's lives, guess what? They want to add value back to yours. Number two is to start thinking about your legacy virtues. There's a big difference between career virtues and legacy virtues. Career virtues are things such as title, money, status, brand. Those are what I call career virtues, but they're not the things that people will remember about you when it comes to the end of your life. However, when you focus on legacy virtues, that's what gets you up in the morning. That's what gets you contributing more than your basic job description. Legacy virtues are things such as how do you impact the lives of other people? How do people feel after they've had a conversation with you? What sort of things do you want to be known for? What are the values that you want to share with the world that you stand for and believe in? These are what I call your legacy virtues. These are the very things that people will talk about you when you are gone from this world. And the third is something I learned over the last 12 months when I became a father for the first time. Uh, it was a few days after lockdown. So as you can imagine, it was a very surreal experience. My wife gave birth. I was only allowed as a partner to be with her for up to an hour wow. before partners got kicked out of the hospital ward <laughs> to manage social distancing. But the moment I was holding my daughter in my arms, as you can as you can relate if you're a parent, a rush of pure love just went through me. But it also reminded me of something we often forget. We are a miracle. I was holding a miracle in my arms. The fact that this child was born, I mean, just to get to that stage was a miracle in itself. But we forget, we easily forget that we have already won the greatest lottery there is going, the lottery of life. And the question I want to leave you with is what are you going to do with that winning ticket of yours that's a great great point is there um anybody that you'd like to give a shout out to i think definitely uh the first person obviously is my wife i mean when people talk about what is the secret to success i think she would be one of those ingredients uh she's certainly been with me through the highs and the lows uh has seen everything i've gone through has been a great counsel to me uh has helped me up in those days where i wasn't sure i could progress or make it so i think she's the first person to give a shout out to the second is all the incredible mentors, whether informal or formal mentors that have influenced my thinking in some way, shape or form. And then the third would simply be my clients, the people who have trusted me, the people who have believed in that I had something to offer, whether they have been private coaching clients, whether they have been people that have invited me to speak at their organization or their conference, to have trusted in me and seen value in what I had to share, I want to thank them because if it wasn't for them, well, I wouldn't have a business. No, fantastic. And, and just before you wrap up, Simon, how can people get in touch with you and hopefully buy your book when it does come out? Obviously, everything will be on the show notes, but what's the best way to get, get in touch with you? 
Sure. So you can connect with me on social media. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter. My handle on those two platforms is at Simon Alexander O. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, and you can join my newsletter on my website, simonalexanderong.com to be notified as I move towards the marketing of my book. uh, So you can be the first to hear when it goes on sale. That's brilliant, Simon, and, and everything will be uh, in the show notes. But you know, finally, just um, a, a huge thank you, Simon, for taking the time today to, to speak with me. The listeners will get a huge amount from this discussion. So thank you once again for taking the time. Perfect. Thank you again for having me, Harsha. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.